Good morning to everybody out on Facebook or YouTube that's watching us this morning as well. Good morning, Dad. <laughs> He's out there. Okay. Sorry. One moment here. Switching lots of gears. I try to write my time down that I start so I've got an idea when I need to be done by. Okay, so we have been going through the books of the Bible and talking about God's plan of salvation from uh, through the whole Bible. Um, we talked about um, you know Adam and Eve and how they broke faith with God and sin entered the world, so there was a need for a rescue plan. And so God um, chose Abraham and his descendants to be his holy nation, which was the Israelites. And we went through, we've been going through the historical books, and we talked about, um, uh, you know, in Judges, when the people of Israel are kind of, they're sinning, God raises up a judge, they turn back to God, and then they go back to worshiping other gods and sinning and through that cycle. So God brings them um, kings, which is what they wanted. And um, last week we went through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, and at the end of Second Kings, um, the uh, Israel and Judah had gone into exile. So, um, so again, we are, so you know, on the timeline. So we had talked about Saul and King David. Solomon, and then here is where the um, the kingdom split into two. So we have Israel and Judah. Um, this week, we're going to start with First and Second Chronicles, which is a little bit of a repeat of First and Second Kings. It's very similar. Um, so we'll still go through that, though, and that'll be a bit of a reminder from last week as we go through. So um, First and Second Chronicles are the 13th and 14th books of the Bible. Most of the history from 1st and 2nd Kings are repeated again in 1st and 2nd Chronicles, plus a bit more. It's told from Judah's perspective. So 1st and 2nd Kings, it kind of went back and forth and told a bit from Judah and a bit from Northern Kingdom Israel. But um, 1st and 2nd Chronicles is just from Judah's perspective. So it does still talk about Northern Kingdom of Israel a bit, but just kind of their interactions with them. Um, so like Moses retelling the law in Deuteronomy, Chronicles was for a different people that may not know their history. It was for the exiles when they came back from Babylon. Um, they needed to know their history again. So, um, so this was, you know, this is written after that, written when they come back to kind of tell them again their history. So, um, you know, the exiles, when they came back and they returned to Jerusalem, they were wondering, what is our relationship to the Israel of old? Is God still interested in us? Are his covenants still in effect now that we have no Davidic king and we're subject to Persia? And do God's promises to David still have meaning for us. And so the author of Chronicles um, goes about trying to answer these questions for them. And um, it's possible that the author of Chronicles was Ezra, um, a Jewish, ancient Jewish tradition 
uh, leads to Ezra as being the author of that. And we'll talk about the Ezra today um, later. And uh, so if if that's the case, then, you know, Ezra, um, as he's interacting with them, you know, and he's reminding them of what God's done for them. So first and sec- or first Chronicles starts with the historical records and genealogy. So there's a, several chapters of genealogy that goes from Adam through Saul and David. And um, it also has genealogy for the first people of Judah that come back after the exile. So they were kind of trying to connect themselves back in. So God is showing that his love for them didn't start with David or the Exodus, but that his love started with them back in creation. So connecting it all together. Uh, It then picks up with King Saul taking his life and David becoming king. So King Saul's just a bit of a blurb in there, and then it goes on to David becoming king. First Chronicles talks about King David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And I don't think that we really talked about the Ark of the Covenant um, a lot so far. Uh, but um, God had instructed Moses to make this Ark. And um, God said, there above the cover, between the two cherubim that are that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So God's presence rested there on the cover of the ark between those two cherubim on top. Um, his pres- presence rested there, and like when Moses would go talk to him, he could hear God's voice from like between um, th- that uh, between the cherubim there. And the Israelites would take the ark with them um, into war. Sometimes God would have them bring the ark out with them into war, and it was just kind of where his presence was um, for them. And also just kind of a symbol, like one idea was kind of that the Israelites were always turning to other gods. This kind of brought like a tangible visual thing of God amongst them. So it wasn't that they worshipped the ark, but God's presence was there and it kind of gave them a visual of God to remember him. Um, so David wanted to build a temple for the Lord, but God doesn't allow him to because he is a man of war. And But David um, does make preparations for the temple so that supplies and instructions will be prepared for Solomon, uh, his son, when he begins to build the temple. So um, in First Chronicles, it talks a bit about that, about David's preparations. And First uh, Chronicles ends with the death of David, and the author doesn't really talk a lot about the sins of David, only the good things. Second Chronicles starts with Solomon asking for wisdom and goes through all the kings of Judah and the exile. And I'm going through this quick because we we talked about this last week, a lot of these things too, in First King, First Second Kings. Um, so Solomon builds the temple and blesses it and the people. And when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, his love endures forever. So God's presence um, was there at the temple, and Solomon has the Levites 
Levite priests um, placed the Ark of the Covenant uh, in the temple. So the Ark is there with them. And uh, the temple, um, talking about the temple again in Chronicles and emphasizing that, it's an important tie for the exiles when they came back um, because they're, they're building, rebuilding the temple. And we'll talk about that. So talking about the temple here is kind of an important tie for them to remember their importance, you know, in God's plan and that connection back to, um, to God and the temple and Solomon's temple. Um, again, the author, he only says good things about Solomon. He doesn't talk about Solomon's sin and, and, um, how he turned from, turned from him. He just talks about the good things. So, um, but after Solomon does talk about how the kingdom was divided. We talked about that last week. The um, 10 northern tribes became Israel and the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin became Judah. Um, and uh, many Levites joined Judah as well. So remember Levites, the Levites were the priests. They were the ones set aside to take care of the temple and teach people about God's um, laws and his love. And um, so they, they also joined in with Judah. Um, so those from every tribe of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord, the God of Israel, followed the Levites to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, son of Solomon, uh, three years, following the ways of David and Solomon during this time. Um, so, And then during the time of King Asa, um, more people came over to Judah. Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who had settled among them, for large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So more tribes, people that still wanted to follow God, that didn't want to worship other idols in the northern kingdom of Israel, um, came and settled in Judah and became part of Judah. Um, so the kingdom of Judah absorbed, um, sorry, I guess I said all this. Um, so, and the author, uh, viewed it as the remnant of all Israel from the time of the Northern exile. So the children of Israel have been warned over and over again to turn away from worshiping other gods. And God warned them through his prophets about their enemies, carrying them away. If they continued to turn from him, God used his prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, and more to warn them about that. So first, the northern kingdom Israel is taken away by Assyria, and then the southern kingdom Judah is taken away by Babylon. The temple and other important buildings were burned, and the walls to Jerusalem were torn down. After this point, we don't hear about the Ark of the Covenant again. No one knows for sure what happened to it. It's possible that it was destroyed with the temple, or it was lost before the exile, and there's you know rumors that it's hidden in a church in Ethiopia, but nobody knows for sure because nobody can go in and see it and that type of thing. But um, so it was it was lost or it was destroyed at some point, but nobody knows what happened to it. And that's the end of Second Chronicles. So um, before we get into Ezra and Nehemiah, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, just a little um, sum up here on the exile, a little background. Um, this was the time in Israel's history when God was using empires as a part of his rescue plan. 
So an empire is a bunch of countries and peoples that were ruled by one king or queen, kind of like the Roman Empire or the British Empire. So um, the Assyrian Empire was the first true empire, was one of the first true empires. Um, and Nineveh, right there where the arrow is, so that's the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was um, one of the capitals of the Assyrian Empire. And I just kind of bring that up because, remember, Jonah had to go to Nineveh, so it just kind of draws that in um, to to talk to the people about their sin. So remember, a lot of exiles had gone there as well and other people living there, so we'll talk about Jonah further down the road, but, um, but that was part of this whole thing here. Um, oh, and there's my picture of Jenna and crazy fish. Um, the Babylonians conquered Assyria and then, um, and then the Babylonians had conquered the southern kingdom of Judah. It's a lot of names today, so I'm trying, I'm hopefully I'm not confusing anybody. Um, the people of Israel and Judah were mostly exiled to different places. And through Isaiah and Jeremiah, God told the Israelites that they would be in exile for 70 years until a new king came to power and would free them. And the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Um. And this is what Isaiah had said. This was before it actually happened. So who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. But not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah um, and Jeremiah had prophesied that a new king, Cyrus, would uh, free them after the 70 years and let some of the exiles go back to Jerusalem. So about 70 years after the first Israelites went into exile, a new kingdom conquered Babylon, which was Persia. And um, this was possibly the biggest empire so far at this time. And the name of the Persian king was Cyrus, just as it had been prophesied. A Jewish historian named Josephus said that Cyrus read what God had said about him and was so impressed um, that he wanted to do what was uh, what it said. So um, Cyrus, Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, so these books are about the Israelites going back to Judah and rebuilding Jerusalem. The full exile is over, and God gives Israel another chance to be true to him. Ezra, the book of Ezra starts with King Cyrus telling the Israelites they can go home to Judah and rebuild God's temple, and that's in about 538 B.C. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of King Cyrus of Persia to make a proclamation throughout his realm, and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, 
the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. So um, the first group goes back to Judah, led by Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah, and Cyrus had sent back with them articles, um, things that were taken from their temple so that they could put them back in after they built it. When they got to Jerusalem, uh, they had a lot of work to do. Every, you know, most everything was destroyed, so they had to rebuild homes and rebuild God's temple. The temple, um, you know, was where they could meet with God and offer sacrifices for their sins, so nothing was more important than rebuilding the temple. It took them 20 years to rebuild the temple because those that were living around them were trying to stop them. And I'm going to take a quick drink. So a little a little more history on the area. Before the exile, um, Samaria was the capital of Israel in the north when they divided. So Samaria was here, and then Jerusalem was the capital of Judah down here. So that's important to remember today, Samaria and Jerusalem. Um, and they, they didn't get along even before the, the exile. Um, there were times when they would fight with each other. There was times when they were at peace with each other. Um, but when Assyria captured the northern kingdom of Israel, they put new people from other regions in charge of that land. And um, they were known as Samar- Samaritans because they lived in Samaria. So when people from Judah were carried uh, into Babylon, the Babylonians started calling them Jews because they were from Judah. So that's kind of where that that uh, where the word Jews starts to come in is in um, uh, the book of Nehemiah and Esther. If you were from the southern kingdom of Judah, you were now called a Jude, Jew, and if you were from the northern kingdom, you were called a Samaritan. So after the exile, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews and vice versa. And so this kind of helps you to understand um, in the New Testament the story of the Good Samaritan or um, uh, when Jesus spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well. So, you know, that was called Samaria at that time. And um, um, so just kind of the why still even then Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. And there was a, a mix of belief of God still, you know, but they didn't fully understand in Samaria. So that's a bit, helps you to understand why. So when the exiles came back from Persia, the people of Samaria had spread out over all the land of Israel and Judah. And the people of Samaria assumed that Jerusalem would want to be in charge of the land again if it was strong. So they did what they could to slow down construction of the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. They, uh, people of Samaria, they bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Um, in the book of Ezra, just kind of narrowing it down here, it has ten chapters. The first six chapters of the book are about the Israelites' trip back to Jerusalem 
and about their work rebuilding the temple while their neighbors tried to stop them. So two kings later, um, after Cyrus, King Darius is in charge, and he looked up Cyrus's decree and um, the letter that said that the Israelites could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And so now they could build the temple in peace, and their neighbors gave them a little rest for a bit. And King Darius, just to bring connection again, that is the same king that had put Daniel in the lion's den. And we'll talk about Daniel more another day. Um, so God's new temple, second temple, um, dwelling place was finished in 516 BC. Ezra was a priest of Israel, still living in Babylon. He was an expert in teaching God's law. And King Artaxerxes sent Ezra back to Jerusalem to help Israel learn God's law again. When Ezra gets to Jerusalem, 80 years after Cyrus said they could go home, Ezra didn't like what he saw. The men of Israel were marrying women from other tribes around them and worshiping other gods. Ezra knew God's law and what had happened because of Solomon. So when, this is Ezra speaking, when I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. So then the people of Israel called out to God, confessing their sin. And the people heard, um, when the people heard him praying, uh, sorry. Um, after they confessed their sins, they even sent their wives back to, um, their families. And Israel tried to get back on track after that. Ezra became their priest. And by the end of Ezra, all the people, um, repent and turn back to God. Nehemiah. So the book of Nehemiah talks about rebuilding Jerusalem's walls. The walls were important to keep invaders out. And Nehemiah, um, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Um, being a cupbearer, you often have the trust of the king and can be one of his closest um, friends or advisors. Um, another Israelite that had been in Jerusalem came and he spoke to Nehemiah, and this is the account. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. So um, Nehemiah went to the king and asked permission to go to Jerusalem. He even asked the king for supplies to help him rebuild the walls. And King Artaxerxes uh, granted Nehemiah's request and gave him everything he asked for. Um, but uh, their neighbors weren't happy. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are the, those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? 
but Nehemiah stationed guards around the workers to protect them. And the workers kept their swords with them all the time. They carried materials with one hand and a weapon in the other. And Nehemiah asked them, asked God to give them strength to finish the job because they were tired. They were trying to build the wall fast and they were trying to do it one handed, really. Um, and they were protecting each other. So before their neighbors could do anything about it, um, the walls were done and it only took 52 days for them to rebuild Jerusalem's wall. Uh, Nehemiah became the governor of the Israelites living in Jerusalem and the area around it. And um, so the first half of the book of Nehemiah is about the rebuilding. And the second half, uh, he calls all the people together so that Ezra, can, who's the priest there now, can read them the law of Moses. Um, and which is, he tells them how God saved them from Egypt and the instructions on how to live holy lives. Um, so they can remember their history. Um, They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is the whole is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So they commit themselves uh, once more to being God's holy people. Uh, Nehemiah chapter nine, I'm not going to read it, but it's a, a good sum up of what God has done for his people from the beginning of creation. Um, So if you ever just want to sum up, uh, Nehemiah 9 is a good chapter to read. Uh, So they are, the people are still being ruled by the Persians. um, And the temple was nothing like the old temple, but they were back home. So they had their home, they had a temple, and they had uh, walls to protect them. The next book of the Bible is Esther. This is the last book we'll talk about today. It's the last historical book. Uh, There's 10 chapters in Esther, and it's the 17th book of the Bible. Uh, This is the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention God by name, but you can see God working throughout it. The book of Esther is dated after the temple was rebuilt, but before Nehemiah came back to build the wall. It takes place in Susa, which was one of the capitals of the Persian Empire. Xerxes I is the king of the Persian Empire at this time. And King Xerxes, you might be familiar with the story of Esther, but I'll sum it up here. King Xerxes threw a banquet and he called for his queen Vashti to come out amongst all his guests because she was beautiful. Um, But she refused him. So King Xerxes removed her as queen. His advisor suggested that he have other young women from across his realm brought to him and he chooses... Um, and that he would choose a new queen. So Esther is um, one of these girls that was chosen. She was an orphan and was adopted by her cousin Mordecai, and uh, they were Jews. When she was chosen, Mordecai told her to keep her identity as a Jew a secret uh, to protect her. And um, King Xerxes has a royal advisor. His name is Haman. Uh, Haman was a descendant of King Agag, who was an Amalekite, 
and Haman hated the Jews. Um, during the reign of King Saul, um, remember he was the first king of Israel, God had given him instructions to wipe out the Amalekites, but they didn't kill everyone. And, um, and so, uh, there was, you know, there were still some of them living and they really hated the Jews because of that battle back then. So it's kind of interesting. Um, king Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin and he had went up against King Agag and the Amalekites. And Mordecai is also from the tribe of Benjamin and he is now against a descendant of King Agag. So it just kind of still came down the line. Haman went to the king and said uh, to King Xerxes, there's a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Um, so an edict went out through the land, declaring that all the Jews would be killed on a certain day. And when Mordecai told Esther what um, what was going on, he said to her, um, when Esther's words words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So Esther was scared to go to the king because if you went before the king without um, being summoned, you could be put to death. Um, but Esther, um, wasn't going to play it safe and keep silent. Um, she went to the king, the king, uh, received her and, um, she invited him to two separate dinners, the king and Haman, the advisor that wanted to kill the Jews on the, at the second dinner, um, queen Esther told the king, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Esther said, an adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Um, So the king had Haman killed, and Mordecai was lifted to Haman's position. The king's order could not be changed, um, but there was a new order that was put out that the Jews could fight and defend themselves against those that tried to kill them and those that hated them. So through the courage of Esther, the Jews were saved again, and God's rescue plan continues. The book of 
Esther was written so that the Jews would never forget how God used Esther to save them from Haman's plan. And every year, Jews read the story of Esther on a special day in February and March, which is called Purim. And Purim comes from the Hebrew word pur, which means lot, um, which is like when you cast throw dice, because Haman cast lots for the day that he would kill the Jews. So he threw a pur, and more than one was called a Purim. Just so you know that. So Jews celebrated Purim this year in February. And that is the end of the book of Esther. So um, that is the end of the historical books. We went from Joshua to Esther in the historical books. And next week we will do the poetry books here, Job through Song of Solomon. So a bit a uh, sum up of what we've learned in the historical books since it took us a few weeks to get through them. God is the king over everything, and he loves his people. God is a king who always keeps his promises and is merciful to a repentant heart. Um, he had promised Abraham that his descendants would be a great nation, and he gave that to them and have their own land. Um, so they, they did become a great nation, and he gave them their own land. And God promised David and his descendants... Um, Sorry, let me start that sentence over again. And God promised David that his descendant would be on the throne forever, which is Jesus. Because God kept his promises, that also meant that he had to follow through with the consequences for Israel when they turned away from him and worshipped other gods. So about a thousand years after Moses brought them out of Egypt, they went into exile. But no matter how bad things were, God was with his people, and he raised up leaders, judges, prophets, uh, kings, uh, kings that didn't necessarily follow God, like Cyrus or Nebuchadnezzar, whoever did to do his will. And but um, Cyrus saved them, let them go back, and um, and Esther. God can use anyone for His plan. He placed them, um, and He places us where we need to be for such a time as this. So we see God's interaction with His people and their interaction with Him. Faithfulness and unfaithfulness, blessing and consequences. A thousand years of Israel's history teaches us that God is holy and he's loving and he's just. And we can't live up to God's standard no matter how hard we try. And that's why we need a savior. And that's, that's why we need Jesus, uh, God's rescue plan. And um, through all of this, we can let these stories shape our shape our hearts and see um, our history and, and how God's moved to bring us salvation. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you've had a plan. We thank you that as we read your word, Lord, that we can just see so many layers of your plan and that you just orchestrate all of this. We thank you that we can trust our lives to your hands. We thank you, Jesus, for coming and saving us, for giving us life. And we thank you for your patience with us, Lord, that when we turn and we do things our own way, that you are faithful to bring us back to you and faithful to forgive us of our sins. And we love you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.
you're dismissed.